Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast in which we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. And this week we're going to be talking about swearing for fun and profit. (laughs) Was that how you jotted down the name of this episode, Tom? So um, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, normally these episodes go out without the explicit tag. So do we need to begin with a warning that we're going to be giving specific examples of the kind of language that we're talking about, or or are we going to skirt around it? Okay, no, I think we should be even more specific than that. I think we should make an undertaking not to swear. Excellent. Um, And so uh, we're going to be talking about swearing, and uh, we're going to be referring to specific epithets by their... I think we're going to go for F-bombs and C-bombs and what have you throughout. Um, And uh, and we'll talk about why as we carry on. This is such an interesting subject for me. Yeah, so you're, you're safe to listen to this in the car with kids uh, or in any other environment where you feel like it wouldn't be appropriate to suddenly start turning the air blue. Um, when I think about it, I, I guess I'm thinking about all the different places in which this sort of taboo language um, features in my life. And uh, I suppose I'm conscious that when I go in as a consultant to work with groups at work, I have a different kind of license, uh, partly because I'm a visitor, but also partly because they know I come from a background in performance. Uh, People expect comics or actors or people from the arts world to have a sophisticated and enjoyable relationship with this kind of language. Mm. Um, We've all been kids once. And when you were at school, you were told not to swear, and your parents told you not to swear as well. Um, I grew up in a, a kind of Catholic household, really. I don't remember us being a particularly sweary family. No, I can remember my mother completely losing her um, temper <laughs> in an airport once. And it was one of the very few times I'd seen her completely melt down. Yes. So many obstacles had been piled in our way frustrating what should have been a family holiday Mm. and it was quite the thing to suddenly hear her (laughs) letting fly with as you say (laughs) f-bombs and uh, and the like but i think there is this weird thing that happens Mm. from the age of about 10 or 11 Mm. until you're kind of an adult yourself until you're 19 or 20 which is that you stop swearing in front of the grown-ups and they stop swearing in front of you but (laughs) 15, 16-year-olds definitely do swear, 
when their parents aren't present and their parents definitely do swear when the teenagers aren't around. When the kids aren't, or in uh, in some cases when they are. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and, and this is, this is it's a very peculiar thing. I mean, so, you know, I was, like you, occasionally you'd hear your parents use language which you'd only hear in the playground. It wasn't that I didn't know what those words meant. I absolutely knew what they meant, which was why it was shocking to hear my parents do it. But there's this kind of this deal about how we interact between the generations, authority figures and those people they're supposed to be setting an example to and uh, so forth. I mean, I remember occasions when I would use words when I didn't know what they meant and was <laughs> thoroughly humiliated when my mother would explain it to me. <laughs> I remember once uh, famously in my family talking to uh, my mother about my older brother, but who I resented for whatever reason at the time, uh, I love you, hater, and accusing him of being a C word. And my mother asked me, do you know what that word means? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, it's just like a, a lucky get, isn't it? Which is a Lancashire word for a, that you just used to people off and she said no it's a slang word for a vagina so don't use it at school <laughs> and uh, and of course i was absolutely mortified so the kind of the, the real meaning of words and the context in which they're appropriate both that seems to me to be important in our house and those of you who don't know me i have an 11 year old son we are actually quite sweary i think mm. And that's a real problem. And I didn't quite know. I didn't want to. And I'm sure those of you who are experts on raising children will tell me this is a bad strategy. But we didn't want to get into a, a sort of a system where we were telling him you can't use these words. One doesn't use these words in the sense of almost fooling him that there was a Santa Claus. And we ended up, I remember when we were coming up with a list of rules, the best I could do um, was... In this house, we take language seriously. <laughs> and so we're constantly having to point out to Frank, no, that is not something you say when there are grown-ups around uh, at the moment. And I guess we'll keep on changing those, uh, those tickings off as, as he grows up and becomes more sophisticated. And of course, we all speak in different registers in different situations. You mm. don't speak intimately to your partner the way you'd speak to somebody in business you only just met. Uh, I don't speak to you, Alex, the same way I, I speak to my cat. Uh, and I think you'd sometimes be, you do. <laughs> you'd be very alarmed <laughs> if I did. So th this doesn't feel to me like censorship or anything like mm. it. It's simply how can we express ourselves in a way which is going to be acceptable mm. to the people that we're talking to and convey the impression that we want to give. I'm not somebody who thinks that swearing is a sign of a limited vocabulary. I think mm. it's possible to swear with tremendous articulacy and creativity. And uh, I would defend my right in the appropriate venue mm. to use whatever word I deem appropriate. Yes. But I don't yeah. tend to deem those words appropriate when I'm in front of a bunch of young lawyers trying mm. to explain to them how they can connect with their clients better. Yeah, it's interesting that. I, I mean, I think maybe you and I differ to a degree about this, but for very specific reasons. It's funny. I was thinking about who has permission to swear and in what context they have, how they create a context in which they have permission. Uh, I think the example that was often given me was that of my in-laws. They're a much more proper family than mine, I would say, than my, the family I grew up in. And, uh, and yet one thing that Zoe noticed is that Billy Connolly seemed to be able to say absolutely anything, <laughs> and they just thought he was wonderful. So what was going on there? And I think there are a number of different things. One, of course, is that Billy Connolly was a total stranger, and so they didn't 
feel they had the right to upbraid him. Secondly, Billy Connolly was on television and so was very famous and powerful. Um, thirdly, Billy Connolly was talking to thousands of people who just adored every word that was falling from his mouth. And who are therefore endorsing, and endorsing everything, he's and everything he's saying yeah. and the language he's Would using. Billy Connolly, do you think, have used the same language <laughs> if he'd been invited around to your in-laws for dinner? Well, this is it. I, I, think, I, don't, I, think, he I, would. I don't think he would, absolutely. But, there were, but, the, but the situation in which he's setting up that persona, telling those stories... I think there are also a couple of other things as well. One is that Billy Connolly is a Scot. Um, and when you're kind of ranking the uh, the shocking value of particular swear words, uh, one often finds that uh, they, they vary differently in different territories. Um, and, uh, for example, the, the C word that I accidentally uttered as a child is considered absolutely scandalous in the United States, but yes. in Glasgow is almost a sign of affection. It's virtually punctuation. <laughs> um, and uh, his ease with it and his familiarity with it, and there was a class warrior dimension to him uh, that he's foregrounding that language as valid and fighting for it. And that is, is, is there implicitly, I think, in everything that he's doing. And so there's a, there, I think his accent sort of frees him up a little bit in a way. And as absurd as it sounds, there is a sort of hierarchy of bad language. Uh, and there are, <laughs> yes, there are words there which are very much at the top and there are words which are uh, much more acceptable nowadays than they would have been in my parents' generation mm. you know, and, and, and the generation before that. In Pygmalion by Bernard Shaw, which is all about language and yep. what assumptions people make about other people based on how they pronounce words and what words they choose, there's a riotously funny scene where Higgins has successfully taught Cockney flower girl Eliza how to pronounce words correctly, but not which words to use. And she exits a polite afternoon tea with the phrase, not bloody likely, mm. which on the London stage in the 19th century caused absolute outrage <laughs> and gales of delighted and or shocked laughter. By the time the film came around, made in, I think, 1964, mm. not bloody likely was no longer going to ruffle any feathers. And so instead, the action was moved to a horse racing event. This is in the musical My Fair Lady. Which in is My Fair Lady, yes, film. that's right. And Audrey Hepburn uh, yells, move your blooming ass." <laughs> Which, again, caused a frisson through cinemas in the 1960s, but wouldn't cause anyone even to raise an eyelid today. So I think there are words in the sort of hinterland. Uh, so uh, I'm fairly confident that I'm not going to offend anyone today if on this podcast I would use the phrase piss off, particularly <laughs> if I say... Uh, feeling pissed off as opposed to an injunction that somebody I dislike should go away. And there is a part of one of the exercises that we do with groups of people where I will say, maybe even a bit pissed off. Mm. And sometimes there is a little frisson around the room, yeah. but I'll be, I think, on safe ground. No one's going to report me to HR, I don't think, for using that phrase. But you, I think, are more eager than I am to go further than that sooner than I would. Yes. So, so first of all, I just want to point out that all of Tom's profanities today has come under the use mention distinction. So Indeed. that he's mentioning the swear words rather than using them in anger or whatever other emotional sense. Um, but yeah, I think that one thing which I, I think is when I'm, when I'm working with people about uh, communication, one of the things which people are desperately hungry for is authenticity. Um, and uh, I think people, when they go to work, uh, I mean, I've literally had some people say to me, I almost put on a persona like it's a hat. Mm. And one way which, as a visitor, I felt I have a certain amount of license to just prod people 
into maybe a little bit more um, relaxed and a little bit more personal use of language, which they might use with people who they know a little better than me, is to set a sweary example a little bit um, and maybe a little bit earlier. And uh, and I think I don't think I've ever had um, negative feedback about that. But I wouldn't give the, that advice for somebody who was doing this kind of work internally in an mm. organization. I think I have a different kind of license like Billy Connolly because I'm a visitor and because I'm appointed to lead. Um, and uh, it would be different advice for uh, people who are junior in organizations as a representative of that outfit. If I'd probably say, if you're in any doubt about whether swearing is okay, don't swear. <laughs> um, I think it's a, it's a, a generally a, a good rule. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm trying to think of other swearers I've met in a workplace situation who I thought somehow got away with it. And I've got quite a few examples, actually. I remember when I was uh, probably one of the first jobs I was paid money to do as I was working at an administrative role in a, uh, just a kind of temping really, in a uh, civil service division called the British Council. Do you know these guys? They used to be under, in, near Trafalgar Square. Um, and there was a unit of people who were all sending reports and programs back and forth to offices all over Europe and the rest of the world. Um, and the guy who ran the department, he was wonderful. He was small, sharp, very clever. And occasionally he would drop the F-bomb in a sort of a passionate argument about uh, somebody he was doing business with, which used to just make us roar with laughter. It was just hilariously funny. And it was very, very occasional. You ever come across this sort of that, that, that surprising swearer? Oh, yeah. But I th- also, mm. I think it's, it's noteworthy that this was somebody senior. The seniority matters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like Billy Connolly, he's not answerable to anybody. Yeah. Do you think there is a gendered component to this? Do you mm. think men can get away with swearing more easily than women? <laughs> and do you think that there is a different connotation to a woman using foul language? I have to say, I don't, mm. even, I don't like that description. don't even like the term. Yeah, exactly. And but we all use, know what you mean. Using these taboo words. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the other example I was thinking of as kind of as a really good example of a successful swearer was Miriam Margulies, um, and who... Uh, who gets licensed because she's mad. Well, well, there is a degree to that, but she's 
But is she mad though? There's something, <laughs> there's something intensely kind of complicated that's going on there. And uh, she is definitely very deliberate about what she's doing. And so she kind of, she lines up with a whole load of those performers who, uh, who often have, there's something very kind of delightful and sweet about them, but famously have a mouth like a sailor, which is a mm. term which will go around about women who are, uh, have got a, a confident grasp of this kind of lingo. Judy um, Dench is widely said to have a yes. filthy sense of humor. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And again, when I was going through my list of kind of effective swearers in this regard, unlike Billy Connolly, these were all posh-voiced people. Mm. Posh-voiced English people who could quite happily play Mary Poppins. Um, but Mary Poppins wouldn't say the kind of things that Julie Andrews would say on set. Okay, um, I remember when I was at drama school at the Bristol Old Vic, we had this wonderful voice teacher called Francis Thomas. You know, you know the Pixar film Up? Mm. Well, the old, the old granddad in that film looks exactly like my old voice teacher. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Francis was an American. He had this just like a, an amazing voice. I mean, he sounded like, uh, I mean, it was just delicious. And we all used to tease him. We all desperately, he was a brilliant teacher. We all adored him. And, uh, and I remember once he dropped some absolutely foul language in a story that just once in the two years that he taught us. But it was just, it was that very judicious, oh gosh, who not only is it in your range, you know precisely how to be most effective with it because so sparing. But again, it's the authority and, and that kind of that high status dimension, the understanding of that status dimension that gave him permission, I think. In terms of building relationships, I think it is one of those things that can if you judge it right, be used to build trust. Mm. Because if I am frustrated with the world or annoyed at the way things are going, mm. and I feel free to take you into my confidence and say to you of other people, mm. uh, aren't they yes. swear words, swear words, swear <laughs> words, then I am saying, I trust you mm. to have access to some very deep and personal feelings about this. I'm not going to pretty this up for you in professional language. I think that's true. I think you're, you're almost, you're, you're giving a hostage to somebody. And there's, there's a, there's a huge them. difference, I think, in using swear words about somebody yes. and using swear words to somebody. Mm. If I have the same relationship with that person and I use those swear words not to describe my frustration with another person or thing, mm. but to describe my frustration with the person I'm talking to. Yes, then I think things are very different. Yes, I think so. I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, we often, uh, I think it's, I don't know if you know this, is it, that, that swearing when you bang your foot is <laughs> it's, it's thought to actually be quite good for you. <laughs> yes, there have been studies which show that one of the ways in which people can deal with pain yes. is to, it's just, it's to scream and shout when yeah. you're in labour. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think that the, the and so that, 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 that authenticity dimension, I think, genuinely does kind of connect people. Um, I think that the, the, when we're using it in passion, uh, to somebody else, then I think it can be very destructive because it's it's a weapon in a in a sort of status battle. I think, um, and I think, uh, and it's interesting that it's coming up again. I think we'll keep coming back to it. Sort of sensitivity to the status dimension of your engagement with other people, I think, is such an important part of building strong relationships with them. So I think that if you're using um, sort of bad language or swear words to play a status game about yourself, then I think that has a different kind of uh, connecting quality. Um, in making friends with the people that you're talking to. Um, one thing which I was thinking of is that so many of the groups I'm working with are international groups. Um, and uh, so many of our relationships are becoming more global and in which the, the, all these nuances of the English language in the uh, native English-speaking English-British community um, slightly different. Um, have you ever come across well, that? There was an example of this recently mm. in the press. Did you hear about uh, Macron? 
talking about how he wanted to deal with people who wouldn't take the vaccine. Oh, he wanted to piss them off. Yes, he wanted to, to, he wanted to emmerder, <laughs> uh, which is an expression for which there isn't a perfectly accurate translation. Ah, right, so I only heard the English translation yeah. version so, of this, not the French word he was... Emmerder yes. is a French word which literally translated would mean to insert feces into. <laughs> and clearly that's not its literal meaning any more than... Piss off is the literal meaning of, yes. of that phrase. And so it was interesting that different newspapers translated this in different ways. Mm. Some softened it noticeably, uh, and others uh, gave a more robust rendition. And yeah. I think a lot of bilingual people would say, yeah, piss off is probably the best the, uh, yeah, mapping it's, of it. It's, it's roughly yeah. where it sits. But of course, these things never no. map one-on-one. -on -one. No. Uh, the, um, the French words, I don't know, I'll, I'll be... I don't know if swearing in French is allowed <laughs> under these self-imposed rules. But anyway, the French word putain, yes. which we would politely translate as sex worker, yeah. is used very flexibly in spoken yes. French, much like we would use yeah. the F word. Yeah. And so a lot of times when you see sweary British phrases translated, the French word putain will appear multiple times, despite mm. the fact that no equivalent English word has been used. Mm. Yeah. I think, I mean, and, and there's Macron, of course, is, is I, suppose, I suppose he's using that to position himself very specifically in a kind of culture war about vaccination, yes. is that what I recall? Yeah, yeah man of the people. Yeah, sort exactly, of yeah, yeah. Boris Johnson <laughs> style. Yeah, I remember um, uh, Johnson's, uh, well, an er earlier prime minister once accidentally using, well, I suppose I, sh I should say the T word <laughs> uh, without properly understanding that yeah, actually it was crossing a line swear-wise. Or John Major saying mm. uh, on a hot mic, oh, yes. calling other members the rest, of, his, the rest of his, his, party. Uh, his party bastards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these things creep in. I think what, also what I'm, I'm struck that we are not the only people that speak English, and America has its own swearing lexicon. Um, speaking English, speaking English language in a native way. Australia and New Zealand as well. Um, but also there's, there's this massive global population of people who are learning English as a second language, as a business language often. And so for those people, these questions are fraught with, uh, with different levels of difficulty. Um, but what I've often found is that uh, there's, uh, they're actually keen to practice their swearing facility. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the, I haven't had to radically change my strategy for those people, although I'm also very conscious that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm tiptoeing around. I need to explain myself a lot. In one of Ben Elton's novels, there's a character who is very fluent in English, but always gets confused about where to put the swear words, mm, yeah. which is very funny <laughs> and allows Ben Elton a lot of license and lots of mm. humor and flexibility with uh, where he chooses to put the swear words. I have, in fact, never encountered this in the wild. No. <laughs> I think it's made up. And I think once you start nice to learn, yeah, once you start to learn the rhythms of a foreign mm. language, it starts to become obvious. There is a rule which I'm not going to misremember, I fear, but it's about where you put the swear word mm. if you're interrupting a word in order to insert oh, yes. it. You can't say unbelieve something bull. Oh yes, of course. You, you, there's <laughs> yeah, only yeah, one exactly. place you can yes. put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, you and I come from a place of working together as comics. Okay, I remember the first summer we were doing a show together at the Edinburgh Festival. It was the first summer they did Big Brother. Oh yes, in, on UK television. And of course, every time somebody was evicted, 
Davina, I think it was that season, maybe it was the following year, she'd have to say, you're hello, live on Brother House, you're live on Channel 4, please do not swear. Yes. Because, of course, by that point, they kind of all of them were being watched. Censorship mechanisms had been dissolved inside the house. And in fact, during season one, they didn't really think anybody was watching them at all. Um, but the um, but but comics, and maybe even particularly British comics, are uh, people have an appetite everywhere to hear them be transgressive. Um, and so relationships with rules and taboos are necessarily quite flexible and sophisticated for people who can eat comedy. But and I think there's a trap game. there as well. I think it's, it is very tempting to imagine mm. that a funny story you tell about a garden hose will automatically become a funnier story if, if it's it is about words. Yeah, <laughs> an F-word garden hose. And so that can lead to people who just swear reflexively all of the time as soon as they're on stage. And I think, like anything else, you do it too much and it has a deadening effect. Mm. It loses its power with repetition. So I think, although I would defend my right to use swear words in any environment that I deem appropriate, personally, in order to preserve their power, in yep. order to make sure they still do the thing I want them to do, I want to use them very sparingly. Absolutely, really. Agreed. Um, so um, we're really interested in kind of your perspective on this. So please get in touch with us if you could think of a particularly effective um, uh, swearer who you know, uh, particularly in maybe slightly more formal circumstances or work circumstances. Um, and uh, if you if you can think of examples of people who the pattern and the framework slightly contradicts what we've been saying, we're particularly interested in those examples. So do get in touch. And if you'd like us to come and run a workshop for you, you can tell us whether you'd like us to be a PG workshop, a PG-13 workshop, or even an X-rated <laughs> workshop. Uh, I will be happy to work within those constraints. But we do workshops all of the time, both in real life and on Zoom, on things like pitching for new business, giving presentations, building better relationships with clients, success in negotiations, and so on and so on. Um, I'm Alex McLaren. Um, you can get in touch with us at the Spontaneity Shop. Um, just give us a call on 020-7788-4080 or email info at the-spontaneity-shop.com. And I'm Tom Selinski. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Tom Selinski. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Selinski. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.